Greetings, this is the Inspector, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night, streaming into your human ear holes. Enjoy! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Well, having a coughing fit, but we'll try it again anyway. From the wine cellar of the underground banquet facilities in Area 51, welcome to TalkCast 349, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with a chance of no tomorrow, I am the Dome, joining the TalkCast, the rest of the gang, in the Peabody Time Tunnel, the technical radical, our own button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdriving, sometimes violent virtuoso. Tonight, alone. It's Kriana. Not really. Well, that's true. You have the geckos tonight, don't you? You're gecko sitting. Which is what I would say if they weren't mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From you the know, state- the same yeah. thing happens to me. People are like, oh, you've got the kids tonight. You're babysitting. I'm like, they're my kids. It's not babysitting. Right? All right. I, I don't get Anyway. Do they think you actually, like, maybe they think that babysitting is a literal thing where you sit on the baby to keep it from getting in trouble. Well, that's that's actually the best technique. Well, yeah. Speaking from the stacks of her quiet place in the Dank Dungeons Public Literary Conservancy, friend of cyborgs, dining with the lycanthropic elite, blah, 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 and is rumored to have a secret quilting society. We can't actually talk about it. Welcome, Zombrarian. Hi. How you doing? I'm not babysitting. You're not? No, not in any sense of the term. Guy walks into a Nintendo store. Do they have Nintendo stores? Do they have, Kriana, do they have Nintendo stores in Japan? I assume so. You didn't see any when you were there, though, did you? I wasn't exactly looking. Oh, well, I was. you might have stumbled across one. I would think that, you know, like you have a Hello Kitty store or, or a, a, you know, an anime store that you would have a Nintendo store. I think that would be cool. The guy who just they bought have one in New- There's one in New York City. Yeah. Oh, really? Yep. We should go visit that. Why? Uh, because it's there. It's the Surrendant <laughs> Hillary. Wow, the pinnacle of consumerism. <coughs> Pretty much. Sitting in his 1987 Ford Fairlane, it's our own futurist and gamer. The guy who likes shiny stuff, it's Awake by Java. I would. I would drive a Fairlane. I would do that. I think we all would, given the opportunity. Um, the, the thing about this, the, 
really there's no other reason to go to New York except for the the you know the Nintendo store. I mean, why else would you go to New York? There's nothing else to do there. I would think you could possibly be right, but you never know. There might be something else. We'd have to look into that. Um, yeah, if you can think of any other reason to go to New York other than the Nintendo store, shoot us an email at awakebyjava at sci-fi-saturdaynight.org. <laughs> That'll teach you a lesson. That's not a real email oh. address. You, you shouldn't do that. <sighs> Our guest tonight is Mark Pinkston. If you've been to a convention and you've heard of a guy by the name of the Nerd Magician, it's Mark. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Great to be anywhere. <laughs> well, you're on the phone, so you're not actually here, but that's okay. Um, we found out about you because uh, our, our pal, the Booking Monkey, was at uh, Vermont uh, Comic-Con, I believe. No, Green Mountain Comic Expo. Green Mountain Comic-Con, that was it. And oh, was it that or White Mountain? White Mountain. It might have been White Mountain Comic Con. Well, it was one of those color yeah. type of mountain Comic Cons in Vermont or upstate New Hampshire or something like that. And he came back afterwards and he said, Dome, you got to check this guy out. We should really have him on the show. And I said, I don't understand the concept. <laughs> <coughs> and at that point, I kind of really didn't. And I happened to be at Super Mega Fest on, on a panel a couple of weeks later and snuck into one of your performances and went, ah, that's what it is. So for the listeners who are listening, as opposed to the listeners who are not listening, explain yeah. what The Nerd Magician is. It's actually more of a uh, comedy show than anything else. Uh, I'm probably a comedian who does magic. But I'm, I mean, it's all to pop culture. I, I think the new tagline I just put on the website is uh, comedy, cosplay, and uh, magical pop culture. Um, so I do, I do magic. I do some interesting magic. But again, I'm really out there. To, I'm more of a comedy magician. And I'm out there to do magic. But all everything I do is uh, themed to pop culture. That's in my main show, which is Magic and Pop Culture. Just for example, uh, I come out of a TARDIS as Doctor, Doctor Who number 12 with my canine unit, Chewbacca, who is a uh, Pomeranian. Uh, he's a very uh, realistic canine unit. And uh, I do some Doctor Who theme magic, with a, even with a fez. And then I end up doing something with one of Doctor Who number seven's umbrella. Then I do uh, a whole thing with Doctor Indiana Jones, uh, which I make his treasures appear from the movies. And then I do a thing with Doc Brown with a flux, flux capacitor from uh, uh, Back to the Future. Uh, the shark from Jaws actually makes a uh, shark, Bruce, makes an appearance as I, uh, he tries to cut someone's head off. Uh, there's a thing of a random Jedi. I do a, a straitjacket escape wearing a stormtrooper helmet. Um, and the slightly evil dead have been uh, known to show up at the gig. So... How did you start doing magic? Obviously, you know, that's your avocation. Where, where, what, where did the magic bug come from? Where did it bite you? Ma magic came when we had our second child, and he was very ill. 
and actually uh, cost us three hundred thousand dollars. Cost the insurance company three hundred thousand dollars. There you go. Children's <laughs> Hospital. Uh, Children's Hospital. Uh, this is in nineteen ninety six. Uh, I had already been doing magic a little bit back then because uh, when my wife had the first, when we had the first child, and uh, basically I needed to get some more income. So on weekends I started doing magic. I did magic when I was a kid. So I actually went to it as an adult as a way to make money. And I don't know, five, 600 birthday parties later, I got all birthday partied out uh, because basically a lot of those people hire magicians to babysit their children <laughs> on the birthday party. <laughs> and they like leave. Uh, and I actually stopped doing birthday parties and started doing bigger shows. I started doing mall tours. I started doing state fairs with a bigger cast and illusions. And I got all illusions out. I got all magicked out after doing a, 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 a nine-month tour. I actually did it full-time for a while. Nine-month tour of the, uh, every uh, Westfield shopping town mall in the country uh, in my van by myself with uh, 12 doves and two rabbits. And uh, I pretty much uh, didn't even want to go to a mall ever again after that show or even go I to the I can understand band. that. Yeah, that's got to be uh, grinding after a while. But where, where so did I the was, turn come into becoming a yeah. nerd magician? Well, I left. I left magic in 2002. And I did no magic. I didn't perform. I did nothing. Uh, basically, been in the computer security business until a year ago. Uh, I have grown children. Uh, my son left home recently. Uh, he uh, flies around the world. Well, flies around the, in World War II bombers. That's what he does for a living. He flies World War II bombers around the country. And he and I used to spend a lot of time together and uh, basically just changes in my life and everything else. I was totally, completely bored and had too much free time on my hand. So I was literally last March, it's about 13 months ago, was sitting on my couch looking at my uh, Stormtrooper helmet I had in my living room. So, you know, this nerd magician thing is not just a title. <laughs> I, I've lived it most of my life. And I said, that would look good with a straight jacket. And that ended up becoming <laughs> my logo. <laughs> Okay, there's a weird, twisted kind of logic in looking at a stormtrooper helmet and going, that would look good in a straitjacket. Well, I used to do a straitjacket escape. In fact, I almost died in one many years ago uh, at Holman Stadium in front of 20,000 people in Nashua, yeah. uh, somewhere around 2001. Uh, I used to do a straitjacket of death, which was a normal straitjacket, but they put a plastic bag around your head and secure it with duct tape. Uh, everybody in the universe told me I was an idiot, and uh, I was. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Uh, that was one of the last. That was one of the last times I ever did that. Until so, uh, so I came back and I did a show. I did a bunch of test shows. I did the straitjacket escape May fourth last year on Star Wars Day at a comedy club in Framingham, and I did my first con in uh, the summer, and. I, I taped some benefit shows, and the the, the one-minute clip I did basically booked me the rest of the year. Every, uh, every small, medium-sized con. The big cons don't seem to get it, uh, that it's just a, a, a comedy show using pop culture uh, with, with cosplay. I play a lot of characters. Uh, but all the small cons seem to love it. So uh, it, it's a new type of entertainment. Uh, which nobody else is doing this. I mean, I come with a full-size TARDIS. I come with a lot of props and equipment. Uh, the, t the tendency by other magicians is to come in with a bag and do an entire show out of a bag. 
So they all, most of the musicians I know always thought I was a, a complete lunatic anyway for bringing all this equipment. So uh, I love pop culture. I love, you know, I love Star Wars. I love Doctor Who. I love all these things. So basically, I've uh, made it into my uh, weekends in which I'm going to spend uh, doing it in about uh, 10 states this year. I'll be doing, because uh, there's some other stuff that I, have, I don't have liberty to reveal yet, but uh, I'll be doing it in 10 states. And I just brought out my Doctor Who show last month in Baltimore at Regeneration Who, which I was on the bill with some actual Doctor Who actors and actresses, which was actually a thrill because of my lifelong Whovian. And uh, I just announced The Magic of Potter, a Harry Potter show that will be around uh, by the end of the year. So, uh, and basically it's all themed, all themed. I'm actually debuting Harry Potter stuff the, this weekend. When you and this is, will be hearing this. I'll be at... Uh, Hudson Valley Comic Con in New York, and uh, I'll be doing a whole bunch of Harry Potter magic in uh, at that con, and they'll be in every one of my shows now. Uh, so I'm basically added a character. So when so, you do uh, a convention, do you do like multiple shows over the course of the convention? Yeah, I, the Super Mega Fest I did three a day. Wow! Um, which this weekend I'm doing two a day. Which I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. We've only, you know, a show. The first show and the last show is me, um, but uh, I'll probably end up walking around. I, I have a, I have a hobby of uh, cosplaying Rasselin from Doctor Who, uh, one of the more evil characters on Doctor Who, and I have a great outfit for that that I uh, that I uh, I love wearing because he's so evil. So I'll probably be doing that some this weekend. But uh, I have made mistakes. At Granicon last year, I did nine shows in two days. Holy crap. Insane. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> yes, it was. And I set up at 6 o'clock in the morning. The first show was at 10.30. And I did five shows on Saturday and four shows on Sunday. I'm not going to do that again. That was no, just, that, uh, that's kind of insane. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That was very insane. So, uh, uh, so I'm if actually... Somebody uh, comes, if somebody comes to see you at a show... And then sees you at another convention. Uh, do you change the? Does the act change from yes, convention to yes. convention? It may. I, I have added some new things, um, and I occasionally add a new character, like I'm the Harry Potter. I'm now going to alternate Harry Potter and Doc Brown in the shows. So uh, this weekend, uh, Harry, uh, the Harry Potter character, uh, Professor Marcus, uh, is going to be doing about. 15, 20 minutes in uh, the first show, and then uh, uh, Doc Brown will be in the second show. So I'm going to alternate right now Harry Potter and Doc Brown. But I also, depending on my mood and depending on the people, because I have everything I do is almost interactive. So I was going to say, there's an I, awful, I saw an awful lot of audience participation stuff oh yeah. uh, when oh I yeah. picked in on you. Uh, that always, to me, I always worried for the magician that the the chance of something going horribly awry is like multiplied when you do that. Yeah, but I I, I some of the best times are when that happens. <laughs> it's uh, I really enjoy it when when the, I don't mean anything bad. No, no, I, I, I understand. But I mean, you but know, I mean, just like the trip I've got lines. south. Well, that doesn't usually happen, but uh, you know, I can always blame it on the people from the audience <laughs> if that goes south. <laughs> Because I, I have them do a lot of the magic. Um, I've got the, the best story for this. This happened years ago. I used to have a cannon. And the trick was that I would ball someone's watch, 
put it in a bag, ram the bag into a cannon. It was a pretty good sized cannon, maybe two, three feet long. Uh, and the, the cannon worked with a percussion cap and black powder. And then the person whose watch it was would stand on the other side of the stage with a box on their head. And I would do all kinds of comedy. I'd go over to them and say, hey, would you feel better? Just before I, I pull the cannon, the, the fighter cannon out of them, hey, do you uh, feel safer if we use safety equipment? They all go, yes, yeah, sure. So I walk over with a helmet and safety gloves and a goggle, and then I put it on me in front of them. <laughs> you know, like, you're not getting the safety gear. I'm getting the safety gear. So, uh, and then basically I press the button, the cannon explodes with a big thing. I'm actually holding this device with a cracker, big matzo cracker between the cannon and the guy. And that matzo cracker explodes. The guy opens the box and uh, his watch is inside. So I'm playing years ago at uh, the Nashua, uh, used to be Arts and Science Center. I don't know what they call it now. And uh, the, the uh, cannon didn't go off. So I have to walk over to it. I have to hold it up. And I have to, underneath of it, uh, uh, pull it back, the, the plunger. So I do it, do hit, uh, pull the cord again, doesn't go off. Go back again, one more time. And I, as I'm doing it, and the cannon barrel's about five inches from my face, the cannon goes off. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> now, people who had never seen this thought this was part of the show, because I basically fell backwards like three feet, and I was like unconscious on the floor of the stage. So people who had never seen it thought this was part of the show. Right. Good, my, my good. Own, Great illusion. Nice job. Yeah. People who had seen it before thought I was dead. My own <laughs> cast, because back then I had uh, four or five people I, I, I performed with all the time. They thought I was dead. I don't remember anything other than, I don't even remember the cannon going off. I just remember waking up and I'm on my back on stage. And I look up and I see they're closing the curtain because they think I'm dead. <laughs> so... <laughs> I immediately jump to my feet, run over to the guy, sir, take that thing off your head. And uh, of course his watch is inside. And luckily it was the last trick. Hey, thanks everybody. Thanks for coming. And then I kind of couldn't hear or talk to anybody for like uh, a day. Well, yeah. In fact, I probably, <laughs> I probably still have some uh, hearing loss in that ear uh, from that. But I mean, it was hysterical. Uh, it really, it really, the, for the everybody but just you falling up their you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, I love it when people go off rails. A kid recently uh, started doing all kinds of stuff on stage recently. This was in Baltimore at the Who convention. And I just looked down and told the audience, okay, this guy's doing his own show. So I basically just sat down in front of him and watched him for a while. <laughs> it was, you know, he was doing something, I'll let him do it. But uh, I like the interaction. I'm really good with uh, responding to uh, uh, things that go wrong or whatever. So uh, I actually prefer that. Uh, and I do do a lot of interaction uh, up on stage as the different characters. I mean, depending on the show, I'm probably anywhere between four to six characters in a show with possible different costumes. One of the things uh, Cam said to me in the notes that he sent over were, ask him where he got some of his props. What does he oh, okay. mean by that? <laughs> well, the tie of a full-size TARDIS, which I use to uh, uh, appear at the beginning of the show, and I also use it to do the straitjacket escape. I go in there as uh, as uh, Doctor Who number 12, and I come out as Doc Brown. So um, uh, I, that's one thing, which I actually got off Craigslist for $250. Uh, <laughs> somebody built it for their nephew, and the mother wanted it out of the house because she didn't think it fit with the house in Concord, Massachusetts. So she just kind of sold it to get rid of it, even though her poor son was kind of sad to see it go. 
Uh, it was unpainted and it didn't have the right windows. It was too short, so I had to extend the roof. Uh, one of the other things is I've got a really interesting guillotine that I had back in the day, back 14 years ago, and I had to almost dig the guy up because he was like near death to actually build me a new one. He used to build like 10 a month and it took him like three months to do this one. I think it's probably the last one he'll ever do. Uh, cause I really love that one. I have a hoverboard. I actually have two hoverboards back to the future hoverboards. One is one they used to sell at universal studios, I think in the eighties or nineties. Oh, wow. Says back to, says back to the future two on it. And that's the one that travels with me. Uh, I have one from the actual movie at home that doesn't leave the house uh, that I bought a bunch of years ago, and it's it's handmade. The one I have that's on tour is production. You can see it's plastic. It was made in a factory by the mold and everything else. And the hoverboard I have with the uh, certificate of authenticity uh, came from uh, Universal on some auction years ago when they were selling some back to the uh, – future props uh, way before they really got expensive. So, uh, and you can tell that all the stickers are here and cut and made and all the graphics are here and cut and made. So that is really uh, cool. I also, for India Jones, I have the, uh, I have a lot of the stuff from some of the little scrap of painting that shows the Shakara stone. I have the Shakara stone. I have the headpiece of the staff of Ra. I have the golden idol. I have the Holy Grail. Uh, it it so seems to me you, you've geeked out here. <laughs> yes, yes. And some of the, again, some of the stuff I already owned <laughs> before uh, I decided to use it. Uh, so I basically was bored. I was bored. I really wanted to get performing again. Uh, I came up with this whole concept of magic and pop culture because I, I had been to probably three or four cons by then and really liked it. And I kind of liked the cosplay. Uh, so, uh, I came up with this whole concept and it seems to have worked because, uh, I've gone from, um, nowhere to all these cons in less than a year. That's, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's the kind of amazing part in, in that you've really just started working the con convention, uh, the con circuit in the last July. 16, 18 yeah. months. Less than that. I mean, my wow. first one was July. First one was July. And, uh, but I'm really good at marketing. I'm really good at marketing. I'm really good at video editing. So basically all I did was create a really amazing, uh, 60 second video, uh, and put it together with some music and ship that out. And that's why I got all the gigs. Uh, and that's still how I get most of the gigs is people, uh, you know, if people take one minute and watch the video. I probably have them because it, it's, uh, I mean, it's a comedy show, but I'm also reliving some of the best parts of some of your favorite movies on stage. Well, it's it's not just that, you know, you're, you're a good uh, promoter. You're actually a fairly good magician, and that helps a lot, I too. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about where you're going to be in the next couple of months. Uh, you're going to be somewhere this weekend as this airs. But coming up yeah, here Hudson Valley Comic Con. Right. You're going to be at Massive Con. In Worcester, yeah, massive con. That's my first time. I uh, my I uh, debuted at GraniteCon last year, and they really wanted me back for GraniteCon. I'm back there again this year, and they really wanted me at Massive Live. So uh, uh, that's the DCU Center, which I think is going to be a kick to you know play in the DCU Center. Uh, I've that's, got that's a very big place. Yeah, 
I got something going on in that's uh, June 24th and 25th. Uh, I have something going on and I don't know, I'm going to be somewhere July 22nd and 23rd. There's three cons that weekend in uh, Boston wow. in uh, Kittery, Maine and somewhere else. So I'm going to be at one of them <laughs> on that weekend. You can Not check sure my website at nerdmagician.com um, and, and they'll find in. After that, uh, Vermont yeah, Comic Con. Vermont. In, yeah, uh, and well, I still haven't heard about Dragon Con. I, they haven't said no yet. They've said no to other people, but they haven't said no to me for Dragon Con yet, which would be uh, Labor Day weekend. So I did apply. Be a lot of fun. Haven't, haven't heard anything. That is a different one because you don't make money for that. You don't make performers make absolutely no money at Dragon Con. And they have like a billion performers that want to play there because of the uh, exposure. So that will be interesting. Um, I've got uh, Granite Con coming up in September, Cleveland Comic Con, uh, and that's totally by that video, by the way, in October. Uh, I've got, uh, there's two or three Doctor Who conventions that I'm now trying to close on uh, between August and December. Uh, because again, I have, uh, uh, I have to finish my video. I had, uh, the Dr. Who show, the magic of who, uh, videotaped professionally with four cameras. So I have to finish the edit for that. And then I'm going to try to close a bunch of Dr. Who cons. And, uh, then I need to get the, uh, who, sh uh, sorry, the magic of Potter show finished and get that video out because now there's a lot of Harry Potter conventions that are going. So, uh, my goal is that maybe in a year or two, maybe I could do this uh, full time. And you're well on your way to doing it now, having come this far in one year. If yeah. you're at a convention and somebody says to you, there's this weird nerd magician, check him out. His shows are a lot of fun. <clears throat> He's a nice guy. Mark, thank you for joining us. It's Mark Pinkston, the nerd magician. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, you so God. much for joining us tonight. Hey, Kriana. Okay. It's news time. And here we are with the rest of the cast. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the news this week. Anybody have someplace they want to start? I can't talk about American Gods because I haven't seen it, but okay. everybody seems to be talking about it. So, so uh, Zombrarian? Well, my spoiler-free estimation is that it is everything I wanted it to be. I knew that they were going to make changes, but the details they changed were the right ones. And rather insignificant to the story and plot line. Yeah, I, I everything thought, that was really important, they kept. And they kept it beautifully. It's it's really visually stunning. It it is. It's a beautiful. It's beautiful cinematography. It's the special effects are really good. Effects are amazing. Yeah, it's. Um, it's and it, I feel like it's a recommendation for TV producers everywhere to keep 
authors on as consultants because oh they know what's important in their own story. Much better than people who are guessing or who haven't actually read it. Yeah. Uh, and there's been way too many of those. The bottom, the bottom line is uh, your first episode has to really be the proof of concept. It's like we've taken this, this really, really nice book Here's what we're going to do with it. And everybody who's watched episode one has come away going, yeah, nice job. Really nice job. I haven't I heard anybody. I didn't feel like they ended the episode in the right place. Um, uh, I'm but... not sure. That, yeah, I'm sure that that was probably a time constraint more than anything else. It's like yeah. we've only got an hour. And we're telling the story and we have to stop somewhere. I'm not sure that there was anywhere they could have stopped within 15 minutes to either side that would have been good. No, that, yeah, that is the problem. I almost wish they had done a two hour pilot, but I don't know that that would have been plausible either. I I'm, will say this is the first time in a very long time that I have been eagerly anticipating the next episode of a show. That's true for, from your standpoint. I, yeah. And you know, me, I'm a junkie for this stuff and it, it you've got to be pretty, pretty bad for me to go, ah, no, no more. Although I've had my share of that, but this one, I, I got up early in the morning, sat and watched it, went to work, came home, watched it again. And, you know, it's one of those, <clears throat> it's so textured and layered that you can watch that episode two or three times. Yeah. Well, well I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I've read <laughs> the it, book. Yeah. It's an, it's an after the, after the show thing for me tonight. So. Oh, there well, you go. Well, you're going to enjoy yourself, my friend. Let me tell you. And my thing is I've read the books so yep. many times or the book, not the books. I mean, there are related books that he's written, but I don't feel like they're as good. And the, so all the details, like it is uncommon for there to be a little detail that pops up. And then I, and I, in a film adaptation and I say, Oh, I had forgotten that from the book, but that's an awesome thing that they left in. That happened to me twice during this episode. Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And um, it's like little, the littlest stuff. And it's <laughs> amazing. And I don't want to say what they are because John no. is going to tell us next week. <laughs> yeah. We'll have we'll we'll talk about yeah we'll we'll wrap next, that right back around about so it next and week. I'll talk about it next week. Um, yeah, my biggest problem with <clears throat> television or movie adaptations of books that I love is that there's so much left out that I really enjoyed as part of the book, and that I miss when it gets to the adaptation. So, from my standpoint, um, as much as I could feel the gaps between they didn't feel terribly unnatural. The flow was excellent. And 
it was just uh, as as good as I hoped it would be. And I'm sitting here waiting to see how they do the House on the Rock. I cannot wait. <laughs> I'm hoping that they just went there to film it. I know. I know. Me too. I doubt that they did, but I hope that's the case. Or at least... Well, fingers crossed. If they can get the feeling right, Yeah. I mean, that's going to be good enough. Because the feeling yes. of the House on the Rock is, is unique. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's so much unique that I didn't believe it was real. Until you guys told me. <laughs> um, I haven't actually been, but having seen pictures, I feel like Neil Gaiman um, did it some justice in the it's, book. It's an unbelievable place. And, yeah. Not that it's, I mean, it's freaky. It's just weird. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, we, we could talk about this, but I'd rather... Talk about it more when Java you had a chance. Spoilers. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, there was an interesting. Oh, the Eisner Awards were nominees uh, came out this week, and there are some wonderful uh, uh, books, anthologies, reality-based works, graphic out, al- uh, graphic uh, novels, and and just. I mean, it's a who's who of what we should be reading this year. And there's just some really, really interesting stuff there. Best penciler, inker team, uh, best multimedia artist, best colorist. And I realized that at that point, I have a lot of reading ahead of me. <laughs> have you read any of the, of the nominees? I have. I've read a couple of them. Um, uh, I, I actually got a, uh, a book called uh, Black Dog, The Dreams of Paul Nash, uh, which was uh, uh, published by Dark Horse. And I never thought that, you know, it would become a, an Eisner nominee, but it's it's an absolutely beautiful work. I have uh, to ask, did the new Black Panther series get nominated for anything? I don't believe it did, no. Oh, shucks. It's good. But. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, and and the problem with this is, you know, with with everything that they do, uh, and as much as they try and bring in, there's always something that you can go. Huh. <sighs> Interestingly, uh, about two years ago, we had uh, Annie Zabla on f- for her webcomic Bird Boy. Yeah, and she's nominated for an Eisner this year for Bird Boy. Oh, that's wonderful! Because and that I just—it was—it was beautiful. It was beautiful. beautiful yeah, look. absolutely. Uh, and you know, congratulations to her for that. But uh, there, there is so so much stuff uh, that uh, different areas to be nominated in best comics related periodical journalism. Wow! <laughs> so you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. We're going to publish the link to the list. So you can take a look at it and and make your own votes for that. Um, also this week, I, as you know, we all have a tendency, uh, especially here on the show, to just kind of look through websites that we know and love uh, to, to find interesting things to bring into the discussion. And one of the most interesting things that uh, I saw this week 
was uh, an album recreation called Princess Leia's Stolen Death Star Plans, which is uh, a remake of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band as a Star Wars parody. And it is possibly one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. Uh, when you go to their website, uh, you can download the MP3s of uh, Princess Leia, uh, and you have essentially Sgt. Pepper's as the Star Wars parody in an album. And you can also, uh, they've literally done videos of every single song so that you, you, there's also a video album that's available off the website. And it's all free, kids. So you can go there and, you know, I would, these are the guys I'd love to have on the show at some point uh, because they're insane. This, this had to be such difficult work to do uh, to get the songs right and then to do videos of the songs and make it so that somebody who's a hardcore Beatles fanatic uh, can really enjoy as well as the Star Wars geek. And these are terrific. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at them or not. Yeah, they, they were popping up a few places this week. It's really cool stuff. You know, the, the idea of a parody, I mean, I love the um, the bad lip reading videos. They're they're pretty hilarious. Oh, the, and, bad, uh, the bad lip sync videos? Yeah, there's a new, yeah there was a new one of those a couple weeks ago as well for Star Wars. <clears throat> um, but, the you know, there's... We, it's interesting to, to look at um, the, the parody work that's done. SNL did a live uh, Star Wars skit the other night too, and they the live uh, the the how much they can do live now, as far as effects go, is pretty pretty amazing. They were they were interesting sketches. So, well, that that something. show was interesting in that the setup takes longer to do live, and uh, because of that. Uh, they were interspersing live tape, live tape throughout the entire show. And there was a point at which it was difficult to tell if that was a tape uh, bit or a live bit. So, you know, kudos to them for, for making that work as well as they did. I, I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the Eisners, but uh, did you guys see that Marvel is going to comiXology? No. Yeah, so uh, a, a while back, Comics comiXology which is owned by amazon uh started offering an unlimited plan, uh, subscription plan for comics but dc and marvel were not on board so it was you know you had dark horse comics and a bunch of other even even the bigger i guess you can't really call them indie publishers anymore dark horse, dark horse and image are not uh you know indie publishers but um now marvel and a lot of Marvel's back catalog is available on Comixology Unlimited, which is interesting. They're especially pushing, um, it seems, their newer books, all their all their re, uh, you know, um, everything. Their, re their second or third rebooted universe. Yeah, well, I mean, that's <laughs> that's just kind of par for the course, right? So you can you can get the you know the Amazing Spider-Man and and Black Panther, the new Black Panther, um, Black Widow. Guardians of the Galaxy, Gamora, all that stuff. Like you can get, you can get all of those new series on Unlimited, um, and it's and 
the, but of course it doesn't have um, their entire catalog, of course. It's only 52 collections, so. But it's an interesting move. I mean, I think we're gonna, we're gonna start to see big comic start to become more digital as it makes more and more sense to sell in that fashion. Well, Marvel has their their own digital outlet as well, don't they? Yes, they do, and so does DC. But they're awful. Why? They're awful. Why? Uh, they're, it's hard to read comics. Comicsology has been doing this thing for I want to say fifteen years. Um, I used to read Comicsology on a laptop before there was even um, there was even a tablet that worked. Um, so it, it's an interesting, they, their software is fantastic for reading comics um, because it's a completely different medium. You can't just treat it like a PDF. Okay, so they've got proprietary readers for Comixology as opposed Comixology to... Is, yeah, Comixology is the app. So, so you can you have a subscription through the comic Comicsology app, and you can read all the all the comics. Download them to your tablet ah. and read through the. It's just like Netflix. So, so it's it's a subscription, so you can read any as many comics as you want. They're not always all available. You know, the things come and go. But um, Marvel Unlimited is the name of the Marvel software, um, and uh, Comicsology has better resolution on the imagery and uh the the one of the coolest things about the comiXology app is that it does cinematic zoom so when you do panel to panel reading which is one of the yeah. coolest things about comiXology um it it does a better job of moving from panel to panel and identifying the panels so that's that's one of the the best parts about it to be honest cool marvel I... unlimited is pretty much just a pdf reader so I'd never really considered comicsology, but I'd never actually been happy with any of the standalone PDF comic book readers that exist in the world. You know, comicsology is the only one that I've ever really, I've ever really used. Um, the other thing to note is that because comicsology is an Amazon platform, a bunch of the Marvel collections are going to be available through Kindle Unlimited and also Amazon Prime. So if you're already a Prime Ooh. subscriber, you will probably get the opportunity to read through uh, Amazon Prime reading service. Um, at least a few of them, you know, maybe not the whole 52 series um, thing. But And there's also a list of, of uh, Marvel comics that are coming to Kindle Unlimited if you're already a subscriber to that, um, which I am not. But, uh, you know, for, for people who are interested I mean, Comixology Unlimited is five ninety nine a month, and Kindle Unlimited is ten dollars nine ninety nine a month, and they both have thirty day free trials, so that it's worth trying. And when you think about it, even if you're just reading, I mean, Comixology Unlimited is a, has a wide catalog already. Adding the Marvel into that is just just makes it better. If you're a heavy comic book reader, it might be worth checking out because. Five ninety nine. That's three books, right? Five ninety nine is two books. Two books. Yeah. 
I, I, I obviously haven't really bought comics in a long time. So speaking of which, uh, next week is free comic book day. And that's the day in which, uh, we encourage you to visit your local comic store, say hi, partake of the freebies there and, and get to know the people who, uh, who've spent their lives uh, supplying you with geek stuff. <laughs> um, so is there a special place that you go for free comic book day, Java? Oh, yeah. Um, there. Well, we've got a bunch of shops here in the northeastern part of Indiana. Um, and DCBS is the big one. Um, so, the but, you know... Any town you're in, there's a comic book store somewhere. So Close by. File up, yeah. up the Googler and, and find yourself a comic book store, get some free comics, hang out with some people, and, uh, and enjoy the community around that, the, the, the lifestyle. Um, you know what's really interesting? And, and I don't know that this is on the same, in the same vein, um, but the people have been talking about this last doctor who episode a lot i haven't actually watched it yet why i don't know i was one i was hoping that somebody <laughs> have somebody okay. to say about it because i don't know why everybody's talking about it but they're saying it's really good i ha- also have not watched any of this season of doctor who <clears throat> i've watched i watched the first episode uh, liked the new companion. Uh, tried to watch the new spinoff class. Not enamored with that at all at the moment. It's far too disjointed for me. Uh, I, I like. I don't like that this is Capaldi's last season. But I understand that evidently an actor has a shelf life of three to four years as a doctor, and that's about it. Why is that, by the way, I wonder? Well, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of different reasons, and it depends on the actor. But, you know, Peter Capaldi is a, is a, well, is a well-known... One of the things about being an, a, the doctor is, man, does that open you up to, to a different community. Because Peter Capaldi is well-known in Britain, and even a little bit you know, abroad in Europe, but... Americans had no idea who he was until he became the doctor. So now all of a sudden, just like, you know, Matt Smith and, and David Tennant, he's got a, a direct line into Hollywood. And um, that's probably where he's going to be moving to. The, I, I think that I think that it's good that we get a new doctor every few years, too, because it's really it, it's it's easy to get too attached you know, like, and, and I think that, I think that one of the best parts of the doctor is that he doesn't stay static. Yeah. I, I, in that, in that respect. Yeah. I mean, if there, you're going to keep making new content, the, there needs to be a, a change to the doctor because the doctor is going to, if, if the doctor responds 
if the doctor stays as the same person, he's going to start responding the same way. That I think, I think that it shakes everything up. No, it absolutely doesn't. I mean, you know, my my opinion of Matt Smith is is far different than than my opinion of the current doctor or the one previous to him. You know, there are it's each doctor I think becomes uh, an acquired taste within the universe. I mean, you know, my my admiration for what David Tennant did for those years is unbounded. There's no question about it in my mind. Some of the most famous, uh, some of the most, not famous, but I mean, incredible episodes were were made that because it was David Tennant's doctor. Yep. But that's just hey. me. Why? And you know, you know what will not be an issue? Uh-oh. The writer's strike. It's over. <laughs> over before it began. Yeah. Thankfully. Because that means we've got movies coming out and uh, nobody's going to have to run to the pile of uh, broken dreams and scripts and go, let's do that one because it's here. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have it. We own the rights. Some right. Of, so we'll make that happen. His... No, that, we're very yeah. lucky, I think, as, as a... Uh, as a consumer universe that with, uh, that the writer's strike, thankfully for them, you know, help them, uh, bring things together for them as a collective bargaining unit, but also means the cool stuff, uh, that we're going to be able to, uh, watch and read and participate in is still going to keep going. So thanks to everybody who figured that one out for a change. We really appreciate it. Ah, you know what I wanted to talk about? No, what did you want to talk about? The Handmaid's Tale. Has anybody watched that? I didn't realize that it started. Yeah, it no, started. that oh. one I am still scared about. Okay. Have you watched it? We've watched the first three episodes. Do I have reason to be apprehensive? I'll take that as a yes. No. Okay. So, <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Um, okay. It's, gosh, it's been so long since I've read that book. Um, yeah, I think for all of us, to be honest with you. The, the, thing, the thing that I, I this is not a, um, <clears throat> this is not American Gods. It's not, um, it's not Doctor Who. <laughs> It's, you know, it's not, it's not Game of Thrones. This is a very different type of story, right? right. Um, and the way that they're doing the storytelling is interesting. There are an awful lot of flashbacks. Um, and there are in the book as well. There are in the book. And, and so that, that feels good. Um, but here's the thing that I realized. <laughs> and it's a good thing, but it's still... Um, one of the shows that we were watching as still are watching is designated survivor, which is not a particularly great show. And in the last couple episodes, it's gotten pretty heavy handed in, you know, it's criticism of the current administration, which is fine, but it's a little bit overt. It's a and little that's not bit what like the show was supposed to be about. Yeah. If you could just replace this, this, and this with the word Trump, 
then you would you would basically have how the writers feel about Trump, um, which is which is fine. But the problem is that it's so obvious that it's that it takes me out of the world and also the spy storyline sucks. So if you're listening, guys. <laughs> Designated de- survivor might not. De- <laughs> deal with that stupid spy storyline because it's awful. And the writing needs to, like, I don't know who left, man, but th- we, we started off hoping for something like West Wing and we got something more like 24. Well, okay. Surprise. I mean, surprise, Kiefer Sutherland, whatever. Just step it up. Um, but we, we, we alternated between watching a show of that and then Handmaid's Tale. And when we went back to the designated survivor, I was like, oh, yeah, this writing is awful. And the reason I did is because the writing in the Handmaid's Tale is, is pretty good. I think. Yeah. What I'm hearing. Great source is- material, too. What well, yeah. I'm hearing from my trusted, my trusted sources of review is that it doesn't stick as close to the details, but the spirit is similar. Yeah. In Handmaid's Tale. And I really wish I remembered all the details so that I could con- confirm that. Because <laughs> I part don't. of my problem is that some of the details. That I can tell some of the details that got scrapped even from watching previews. And I don't love that those got scrapped because I think that they're relevant. I'm like dancing around this so that I don't hand out spoilers. I'm not worried about it. It's it's really interesting that... my my standards for good television i don't think that you know 20 years ago well i know that i know 20 years ago because 20 years ago i was watching friends and i've watched friends recently and wow it's awful yeah you know and i there's a special place for friends in my lifetime they did make a movie of handmaid's tale in i think the 90s yeah and it wasn't very good it wasn't good but it wasn't i don't know our senior our storytelling on the on the small screen have completely changed here's here's the problem that the small screen has always had now that we have uh, um a thousand different channels that we can look at and most of them we don't bother with. There's a show called decades. Uh, I, I'm sorry, a channel called decades that goes, Hey, we're going to go back to the 1960s and now we're going to show you a bunch of shows and a bunch of talk shows and a bunch of from the night. You remember those, don't you? Yeah. And that's the problem. That's the problem. We do remember them, but we remember them from that perspective and not now we give you a quick example. Uh, when I was growing up, there was a wonderful show called The Man from Uncle. It starred Robert Vaughn, David McCallum, Leo G. Carroll. Uh, and it was, I remember it as being this incredibly cool spy series. And it, and it was it was smart. It was snappy. It was fun to watch. So I happened to be looking at uh, the, my channel selectors and it went, they're running a Man from Uncle marathon on decades 
this is going to be freaking great. And I turned it on. And I lasted all of like nine minutes. Because it's not. It's, it's for its time, whatever it was, now does not hold up at all. And that's the biggest problem with a lot of episodic TV when you go back a decade or two or three. Just doesn't work anymore. It's, it, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we have higher expectations. But I, I ran into this trouble trying to explain, you know, the, the perspective that Ray Bradbury had about television um, in, in Fahrenheit 451 to students. You know, the, this, the television of the 1950s, which is what he was writing about um, right. on, their, on their wall screens and, and, the, and the dramas and the talk, talk back and, the, you know, families and all that. That was not, that is not the television of today. No. So, so you know, everything, everything needs to be taken with some perspective. We would never have had a show like American Gods. Well, if they had done American Gods 15 years ago, it would not have been a show that anybody would want to watch. And I think part of that now is streaming and the fact that we can binge watch shows. I think people are more receptive to things with a a through line, a story arc that's a through line because you're less likely to miss them. Absolutely, yes. yeah. Even for American Gods, which comes out weekly, you're not afraid that you're going to miss it because if you do you can get it on demand you can stream it you can you know tivo it um yeah or you can wait a couple of months and buy the dvd and there's a thousand different watching you know like er with my dad and that had a through line but i didn't watch it every week i watched it now and then and i would sit down next to him and during a commercial break, I would turn to him and say, wait, I thought so-and-so was dating so-and-so, and who's the baby? And he could catch me up on the through line what for a I whole miss? season. Yeah. Right. But he could do it within a commercial break, and we'd still have time to make popcorn. <laughs> right. And, you know, I go back and I watch Next Generation. I've been watching my way through that with my, my wife, and, you know, the... It's great. It's still a great show, but it's obviously a 90s show. And it's designed to be consumed in our bites. You watch more than two in a row and you're like, oh my gosh, it's the same thing every time. Well, and, and it's because you couldn't write a show that what happens in this episode is dependent entirely on what happened in the last episode. Right, because exactly. people forget things. It's been a week. Maybe they missed one. You know, like yeah. And, and the only way to know what happened is to buy the TV guide. Yeah, another archaic remnant. Yes, absolutely. So now we're talking about how old we are, yeah. and <laughs> I think that's the end of the show. That's the. I end. think it's damn close to the end of the show. You can't so, get off my line. Uh, Damn right, get off my lawn. Coming up in the next couple of weeks on Sci-Fi Saturday Night, on the 20th of May, George O'Connor comes in to talk about turning his comic yield 
into a movie and his experiences on the 27th, Wade Coffin from the Horror Writers of May comes to talk about his new Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of BrandonCon, BooksAndBooze.com, and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the first anthology by Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. By Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at robwattsonline.com. Their culture music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their groups can be found on lawrencemademecry.com. I want to thank our guests for joining us tonight Mark Kingston, the nerd magician. Mark, thank you so much. We'll be looking forward to seeing you at MassiveCon and GraniteCon up in the new year. I want to thank our uh, cast for joining us tonight. Because not the cast, it's just me talking. From the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Brianna, and the woman of the soundboard. Thank you so much, ladies. That's what we do. Back from the thunder snow. Thanks for all the fish. Thank you, Java. Talk to you again soon. So long. This is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie. Shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all get entropy. Night, everybody.